Letter five of Young Americans Abroad or Vacation in Europe Travels in England, France, Holland, Belgium, Prussia, and Switzerland edited by J. O. Chules read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. London Dear Charlie, after passing a day or two in a general view of the city, and making some preliminary arrangements for our future movements, we all called upon Mr. Lawrence, the minister of our country at the court of St. James, which expression refers to the appellation of the old palace of George the Third. Mr. Lawrence resides in Piccadilly, opposite the St. James's Park, in a very splendid mansion, which he rents from an English nobleman, all furnished. We were very kindly received by His Excellency, who expressed much pleasure at seeing his young countrymen coming abroad, and said he was very fond of boys, and liked them as travelling companions. I handed him a letter of introduction from his brother. Mr. Lawrence offered us all the facilities in his power to see the sights, and these are great, for he is furnished by the Government of England with orders which will admit parties to almost everything in and about London. Amongst other tickets he gave us the following admissions, to the Queen's Stables, Windsor Castle, Dulwich Gallery, Woolwich Arsenal, Navy Yard, Sion House, and Northumberland House, Houses of Parliament, and, what we highly valued, an admission to enter the exhibition, which is yet unfinished and not open to inspection. After leaving the minister, we paid our respects to Mr. Davis, the Secretary of Legation, and were kindly received. We walked on from Piccadilly to the Crystal Palace, passing Apsley House, the residence of the Duke of Wellington, and soon reached Hyde Park, with its famous gateway and the far-famed statue of the Duke. As we shall go into some detailed account of the palace after the exhibition opens, I would say only that we were exceedingly surprised and delighted with the building itself, and were so taken up with that as hardly to look at its contents, which were now rapidly getting into order. The effect of the noble elms which are covered up in the palace is very striking and pleasing, and very naturally suggests the idea that the house would, by and by, make a glorious greenhouse for the city, where winter's discontents might almost be made into glorious summer. A poor fellow was killed here, just before we entered, by falling through the skylight roof. He was at work on a plank laid across the iron frame, and that, tipping up, threw him onto the glass, and his death was instantaneous. We are more and more pleased at having so central a domicile as the Golden Cross, for time is everything when you have to see sights, and here we can get to any point we desire by bus, and obtain a fly at any moment. Very much that we desire to see, too, is east of Temple Bar, and our mentor seems determined that we shall become acquainted with the London of other times, and we rarely walk out without learning who lived in that house, and what event happened in that street." I fancy that we are going to gather up much curious matter for future use and recollection by our street wanderings. A book called The Streets of London is our frequent study, and is daily consulted with advantage. Today we dined at the famous Williams's, in Old Bailey, where boiled beef is said to be better than at any other place in London. It was certainly as fine as could be desired. The customers were numerous and looked like businessmen. The proprietor was a busy man, and his eyes seemed everywhere. A vision of cockroaches, however, dispelled the appetite for a dessert, and we perambulated our way to the monument. This has a noble appearance, and stands on Fish Street. The pillar is two hundred and two feet high, and is surmounted by a gilt frame. The object of the monument is to commemorate the great fire of London in Charles the Second's reign. 
It had an inscription which ascribed the origin of the fire to the Catholics, but recently this has been obliterated. It was to this inscription and allegation that the Pope referred to in his lines, where London's column, pointing to the skies, like a tall bully, lifts its head and lies. There are few things in London that have impressed us more than the fine, massive bridges which span the Thames, and are so crowded with foot-passengers and carriages. Every boy who has read much has had his head full of notions about London Bridge, that is, old London Bridge, which was taken down about thirty years ago. The old bridge was originally a wooden structure, and on the sides of the bridge were houses, and the pathway in front had all sorts of goods exposed for sale, and the southern gate of the bridge was disfigured with the heads and quarters of the poor creatures who were executed for treason. The new bridge was commenced in 1825, and it was opened in 1831 by William the Fourth and Queen Adelaide. The bridge has five arches. The central one is 150 feet in the clear, the two next 140 feet, and the extreme arches 130 feet. The length, including the abutments, is about 1,000 feet, its width 83 feet, and the road for carriages 55 feet. The great roads leading to London Bridge have been mostly costly affairs, and I was told that a parish and its church had been destroyed to make these approaches. The men of different generations, who for almost one thousand years looked at the old bridge, would stare at the present one in its present vicinity, if they were to come back again. Southwark Bridge was commenced in 1814, and finished in 1819. It has three arches, and the central arch is two hundred and forty feet, which is the greatest span in the world. In this bridge are five thousand three hundred and eight tons of iron. Blackfriars Bridge was commenced in 1760, and opened in 1770. It has nine elliptical arches, of which the middle one is one hundred feet in width. Recently this bridge has been thoroughly repaired. I think this is my favorite standpoint for the river and city. Nowhere else have I obtained such a view up and down the river. Here I have a full prospect of the Tower, St. Paul's Cathedral, Somerset House, the Houses of Parliament, Westminster Abbey, and perhaps twenty-five other churches. But the great bridge of all is the Waterloo one, commenced in 1811 and opened in 1817, on the 18th of June, the anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. Of course, the Duke of Wellington figured upon the occasion. At this point the river is 1,326 feet wide, and the bridge is of nine elliptical arches, each of one hundred and twenty feet space, and thirty-five feet high above high water, and its entire length two thousand four hundred and fifty-six feet. It is painful to hear the sad stories which have a connection with this magnificent structure. It seems the chosen resort of London suicides, and very frequent are the events which almost justify its appellation, the Bridge of Sighs. I love to walk this and the other bridges, and look at the mighty city, and think of its wonderful history, and its existing place in the affairs of the world, and I cannot help thinking of the reflections of the wise man, One generation passeth away, but the earth remaineth. I have never felt my own insignificance so much, Charlie, as when walking in one of these crowded streets. I know no one, I am unknown, I am in solitude, and feel it more, perhaps, than I should feel if alone upon a mountain-top or in a wilderness. I am sure I have told you enough for once, and perhaps you are as tired of my letter as I was in going over the places I have written to you about. So I will relieve your patience. I am yours always. Weld. End of letter 5. Read by Sibella Denton. 
All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.